Today on the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? It's not your responsibility to take people out of pain. You do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. It's your responsibility to be able to sit in the pain with them. Empathy is feeling with people. All of us have needs. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. We all have individual needs and we are either getting those needs met or we're not getting those needs met. It's just sometimes it's like there's this achy, I don't know what it is. The reason that might be hard for some people is because they have yet to learn how to sit in their own feet. Hey, I know what it's like down here and you're not alone. Why is there so much despair out there in the world? Because people feel alone. They think they're the only ones who are feeling that disconnected. And the reason it's so systemic now is because most of us haven't been taught how to empathize with somebody and climb down into that dark hole with somebody and just sit there with them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed is good. Don't confuse greed with desire. You don't have to exploit other people to get what you want. Having desire is good. Let me tell you something. There is no nobility in poverty. Money has become this powerful symbol for wealth, but you can have all the money in the world. And if you don't have peace of mind, you are not going to be a happy camper. I don't lie to myself. I don't hold on to a loser. The moment it doesn't feel right, I let it go. Get away from it. Oh, it's so easy to lie to ourselves, whether it's holding onto a losing position in a trade or in our life. Our ego does not like to be wrong, but that lie will cost us each and every time. The Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim and Curtin. Uh, I want to welcome you to this and introduce you to Glenn Oslin, my uh, co-conspirator on these uh, podcasts. I want to be your sidekick. Okay. okay. I'll be like, like, you're, like, I, like I'll ride in the sidecar of your like motorcycle and you can be Batman and I'll be Robin. I think that's awesome. Okay. Batman and Robin. Or Batwoman oh or uh, Batcoach. I'm not, I'm not Batcoach. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Robin. Robin and Batman is always good. Good metaphor. I like it. Okay. So you're the sidekick. Fine. Sure. I won't argue <laughs> with you. <laughs> Uh, so we're back and I'm excited to have you guys listening and uh, I hope every episode gets better and better and we have a couple of surprises for you today because Glenn is so creative he found something that is going to be fun to use in this podcast we're going to share with you so today we're going to talk about self and other empathy and it is definitely one of my five practices that I have mentioned in my book transforming Wall Street and it is also a practice that I think is probably one of the most profound and paradigm-changing practices uh, I've ever been introduced to. We're going to share with you a video that some of you may have seen. It's, it's a short video, less than three minutes, and it explains uh, by the one and only Brene Brown the difference between sympathy versus empathy. A lot of people mix them up, and I think this video is the most succinct distillation of what the difference between the two is. Uh, and I think it's important for that context to be set at the start of this, so we will roll it. So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's a, it, very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied 
professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective-taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling rarely if ever does an empathic response begin with at least I had a yeah and we do it all the time because you know what someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now, I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. I love that she speaks about, you know, that people, when they are attempting they, they, they are stuck with the person being in pain and they feel that the best and most heartfelt thing to do is to take them out of that pain. And I think the, the key to being able to give empathy instead of sympathy is to realize that it's not your responsibility to take people out of pain. It's your responsibility to be able to sit in the pain with them and the reason that might be hard for some people is because they have yet to learn how to sit in their own pain. So if you can't even sit in your own pain, how the heck are you going to sit in somebody else's pain? And at the beginning of that video, she talks about you to be able to have empathy, you need to be able to connect to something in yourself that you can relate to that person's experience. And if you haven't practiced your own being with hard to be with feelings, then it's going to be very hard for you to be able to find that within yourself. I had a hard time with this the first time I saw it. Tell me. I, more. I, I, I really didn't like the, this is like, she says something that it seemed very pithy to me, like very cute, like, mm -hmm. like very poetic, nice parallelism that empathy fuels Your, connection. Okay sympathy drives disconnection yeah and i i just went well, that 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 really bothered me and that, that she didn't really pause to explain it or justify it at all
And then the, what I was really interested in were, was the definition of empathy. And she said there's four characteristics of empathy, but went through them pretty quickly. And that might, that might be the way that this YouTube video was edited, because it sounds to me like this was part of a larger lecture, and she probably said more than actually got put into this animated YouTube clip. Um, yeah. But do, do you remember what those four things were? The first one was perception, was that it? Four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, staying out of judgment, recognizing emotion in other people, and then communicating that. The first one was perspective taking. The perspective taking. To be able to step into what uh, somebody's perspective on something is. This is why I think she says the drives connection fuels disconnection with sympathy, because sympathy is in that moment then not about that other person, but it's about you. You're caught up in your own discomfort. You're caught up in your own pain of whatever has happened to you. And in that moment when somebody's sharing their pain with you, it isn't about you and your pain and discomfort in that moment. It's actually about them and their pain. And if you go to sympathy, what you've done is you're basically trying to mitigate the discomfort you have with that person's pain. And that in that moment, it's, it's really not about you. It's about them. Does that make sense? I guess the thing, it, 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 the way that I always understood sympathy when I would talk about sympathy or, the, or you're being sympathetic to people is, you know, people would tell me, oh, you're, you're not being sympathetic enough. And yeah. so I, I was raised to think that I needed to be sympathetic. And that was the way that I show that I care. That's the way that I am, am there and present for people. And now Brene Brown comes around with this really cute little bait and switch. Well, actually, you should be doing, you know, sympathy, all that, that what you were told all those years um, is actually a bad thing. It's going to drive disconnection. What you really need is empathy. And when you put an M, M in front of a thing instead of a simp in front of that, you know, it's different kind of pathy pathology, which is what, feeling? Is, is that what pathology is? Well, well Empathy is feeling with. Mm. Empathy is sort of noticing. It's like a likeness. Correct. It's it's as if and and I'm go I'm I'm almost tempted to read a description of uh, the difference. This is and and I just want to say that it's not just Brene Brown. Sure, talking. sure, sure. Yeah, and I'm just talking about my, like my immediate response when I first saw this like five or six years ago, whenever I first did, and I, I was really cynical. I think it's really important because I don't think you're the only one who was cynical. Yeah, and I yeah. think it's confusing to people because they have been raised to be sympathetic. And to be sympathetic uh, is different than being em empathetic. And, you know, nobody's had that word empathy uh, really taught to them. Certainly uh, not taught to be empathetic to themselves. So I'm gonna read a passage from my book, Transforming Wall Street. Uh, and this is an interview with Marshall Rosenberg uh, that Deanne Killian did titled Sympathy Versus Empathy. Uh, having strong feelings inside and being aware of them is sympathy, not empathy. So if I say to someone who's hurting, gee whiz, I feel sad when you say that, this is an example of sympathy and not empathy. If you can remember when you had pain in your body and got lost in a good book, that is empathy. The pain hadn't changed, but you were no longer aware of it. You were sort of out visiting, visiting the book at that moment. 
with empathy, we are with the other person. Not that we, not that we feel their feelings, but that we are with them while they are feeling their feelings. If I take my mind away from the person for one second, I may notice I have strong feelings. If so, I don't try to push my feelings down. I say, go back to them. My own feelings tell me that I'm not with the other person. I'm home again, if you will, inside yourself. So you go back, go back to the other person. However, there are times when your pain might be too great. And if so, you're not going to be able to empathize. So you can say, I'm in so much pain right now hearing some of the things that you've said. I'm not really able to listen. Could you give me a few moments to deal with that so I can go back to hearing you? It's important not to mix up empathy with sympathy because when someone is in pain and then I say, oh, I understand how you feel and I feel so sad about that, I take the flow away from them and bring their attention over to me instead of letting it stay there with them. So I'll stop there and see if that helps with the explanation a little bit. Glenn, what do you think with that paragraph? I like that quote. I, I don't, I'm not really sure what to say. I, I, I guess I wonder what anybody might say in response to or against empathy. You know, I, I got an audio book years ago called Against Empathy. I never actually listened to it. I'll probably go and listen to it after we're done talking now to, to just hear what this guy's saying. It could be that he's advocating radical candor. You know, there's, there's a, there has been a movement out there. There's a book called Radical Candor. I can't remember the woman's name who wrote the book. And it's a fabulous... Uh, perspective on so much of the, you know, beating around the bush that happens in the corporate environment, people, mm. leaders not telling you exactly where you stand and, you know, pretending like you're in better shape than you are. And I do think radical candor is sort of a branch off of empathy. It, you know, it's pulling the bandaid off in one fell swoop instead of slowly peeling it up, you know, uh, but radical candor works if you truly are coming from an empathic place, if you're coming from empathically connecting to what might be going on for that person. I think in radical candor, you're not necessarily uh, motivated by just uh, comforting the person. You're there to give them hard to truth news. But for you to give radical candor, there has to be trust for it to be received. And, and people are more likely to trust you if they feel you can empathize with them. They will not trust you if they think you judge them. And that is part of what I think, unfortunately, sympathy feels like most of the time. When we express pain and somebody responds with at least, uh, we feel somewhat judged as though we should have been more grateful or as if we should be uh, focused on our positive and they're not giving us the space to just be with the disappointment in the moment. And that's, uh, I think, again, the ability to have empathy for anybody else, it, it begins with ourselves. And that is, I think, part of why it's hard for people to step into empathy for other people, because most people are not practitioners of self-empathy. We're very hard on ourselves. We have these inner gremlins. We have these inner critics that... Uh, get all ruffled up if we make a mistake. And rarely do we meet ourselves with an em em empathic connection internally to our humanity. 
we judge ourselves, we make ourselves wrong, we shame ourselves, we say we are not worthy of certain things just because we're human. And that to me is the step one. So when I speak as a practice to self-empathy or other empathy, sometimes I don't even talk to people about having empathy for anybody else because they have to just spend a lot of time recognizing what it means to give themselves empathy. That's where we begin. And that's the first place, you know, you, you, um, and, and what do I liken empathy to? I liken it to oxygen. I liken it to the oxygen mask that would come down on a plane that they would tell you to put on your face before you're even your child. Because if you don't have oxygen, you're not going to be able to succeed at getting the oxygen mask on that child. So let's just talk about self-empathy for a minute, because for us to be able to step into other empathy, first we have to understand what self-empathy is. And, and is that, that's like being okay with feeling feelings that normally people would say, oh, just, you know, buck up. Just Correct. pull yourself up from the, you know, quit wallowing. Correct. Quit wallowing. Quit being so needy. You need to just get over it and you need to get on with it. That's kind of yeah. like the culture of success. It, it's, I wouldn't say it's a culture of success. I would say it's the culture of uh, this work ethic that we have, especially in the United States, around pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. And this marine-like uh, no pain, no gain. Push through it. And, th and this is not just in the United States' culture. This is in a few other cultures, but, but we definitely are we very high on this self-determinism. And the way we view it is, you know, the just do it mentality. And there is a time and a place for that. But in my experience, people and their ability to find themselves getting past the roadblocks is rarely done with a stick where you beat yourself to a pulp. I believe that most people are able to go the distance if they receive comfort to a degree. I'm not talking about being, you know, somebody who is soft, but that's the problem. People think giving yourself empathy or giving empathy to somebody else makes you soft. And I would say, actually, it strengthens you because that's I see empathy as oxygen so if we take the example of a drowning man a drowning man they say the best practice of a lifeguard is to have two lifeguards go out to a drowning man why because the first lifeguard that reaches that drowning man is probably going to be pushed under because that man is desperate for air we are that drowning man all of us Everybody around us is that drowning man. The drowning man is a metaphor, in my experience, for a person who's not getting any of their needs met. If you're not getting your basic needs met, your ability to have empathy is going to be compromised. So what I try to say to people, and, and this work around self-empathy and other empathy is built upon the house of what I learned through Marshall Rosenberg's work, nonviolent communication. And what he says is that basically all of us have needs. We all have individual needs. And we are either at all times getting those needs met or we're not getting those needs met or we're getting some met and others not met. 
the reason these are so important to understand is because when needs are not met, we have challenging feelings like frustration, sadness, depression, anger. Those are a collection of feelings that come when needs are not met. And in the moment you're complaining about that, if the person next to you is able to acknowledge those feelings and understand that you have those feelings, their ability to give you empathy in that moment is going to have you have a shift because you'll feel acknowledged. You'll feel like, yeah, what I'm feeling is valid, makes sense. And now you're in a position to potentially transcend out of that place of depression or anger or frustration because you've been acknowledged, which is another need we all have. And what I want to invite everybody to do is feel comfortable to email me, reach out if you want a copy of this needs list. Uh, I have a copy, but there's also other resources online that I can point you to. I do recommend you get really clear on what your non-negotiable needs are and what your human needs are, right? These are, these are just, call them human needs, call them universal needs. These are needs every human being has uh, to some extent. And sometimes we're getting them met and sometimes we're not getting them met. So I'll just read a handful from a few columns. Acceptance, affection, appreciation, belonging. I'm going to continue to read, but I think what I'm going to say are, I'm going to read needs that I see right now in the, common, in the commons, so to speak, not getting met. So uh, what, I, what I hear from clients, what I hear from friends and colleagues, and what I see out there in social media and in the news, these are, these are, I'm going to speak specifically to some needs that I see all of us right now at this time in this place, 2019, with all that's happening in the world. These are needs I don't see most of us getting met. So here, I'm going to just read aloud from this list. This is, I'm going to just quickly put up on the screen. This is the list I'm reading from. And I'm going to just select out needs I see a lot of people right now not getting met. Our need for belonging, I feel, is not being met currently. Cooperation uh, is not being met. Communication is not being met. Closeness, companionship, compassion, consideration, consistency, empathy, inclusion, intimacy, love, mutuality, nurturing, respect, and self-respect, safety, Sure as heck not getting that one met right now. Stability, support, to see and be seen, trust, warmth. Now, that's only a few from these three columns, but I'm going to stop there to just say, if you, you know, shook your head in agreement to any of those needs not being met currently for yourself personally or professionally, then... I want you to see if you can identify any of these feelings because these inevitably are the feelings people have, all of us, when those needs are not met. Anger, irritation, discouragement, reluctance, hopeless, concerned, frustrated, overwhelmed, lonely, annoyed, distressed, helpless, disappointed, confused, uncomfortable sad. So now I want you to say to yourself, huh, what of those feelings that she just mentioned do I have? You may have all of them, but there may be ones that ring really true for you. 
And what I want to say to you is, first of all, I want to give you empathy for not getting your needs met because to not get your needs met for short periods of time is difficult. For long periods of time is almost unbearable. And what we do when we don't get our needs met for a consistently long period of time is we numb. Why do we numb? Because to feel those feelings that I just read over and over again, every day, in and out, is a lot. And it gets overwhelming. So we have a tendency to numb them. And how do we numb them? Well, you name you know, the number of choice. Food, sugar, alcohol, drugs, shopping, working, exercise, listening to podcasts. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you can take cleaning your house, you know, uh, working 24 seven. I mean, anything can be used to numb. And that is what we as a culture, unfortunately, because of the consumeristic culture we do live in, it's really easy to numb. We can just go shop online now. We can just go and, you know, get a couple of drinks with somebody right after work and then go to the mall. I mean, there's, it's, it's so easy to numb. And look, I numb. Nobody I know doesn't numb. I don't think it's about thinking you're never going to numb, but it's recognizing, wow, what might be the needs behind my feelings so that you can go about maybe taking strides to get those needs met. And that is the piece that I really want to introduce to everybody because I see so much numbing happening across our culture. And, and here, I, you know, personally, I know that even I can numb, even what, but at least I'm conscious. Okay, I'm numbing right now. I'm having some, you know, Ben and Jerry's, uh, you know, chocolate ice cream. And what am I numbing? Maybe I'm numbing loneliness. Like at least I'm able to identify that I'm numbing and I'm able to identify what the feel, what the need is that wasn't met for myself. That's the first step. And does it mean I'm always successful? No, but that even recognizing that that might be going on, I can connect with somebody. I'm fortunate that I could call a friend and be like, you know, I'm just feeling lonely right now. I just been working all day in my house and haven't seen any people. And I just kind of feel by myself. So I can take steps to try to get the needs met. The days when they don't all answer the phone or they're not available, maybe the chunky monkey's going to be eaten that day, right? But the point is, at least I'm aware loneliness or the need for connection has not been met maybe for three days, I better get my butt outside and go work at a coffee shop or go down to lunch with a friend or make sure I have somebody over for dinner. That is the way we can begin to combat whatever the needs are that we're not having met over time. As you were going through all of those uh, needs and then the emotions, I kept thinking about the, drown the drowning man analogy that when we're not getting our needs met, we do get in this state because of those emotions that we're feeling, anger, loneliness, frustration, etc. It is kind of like a, a drowning man that's flailing around and can't really focus. Even when there's somebody that comes to help, you can't really focus on that if you're so in those emotions. Correct. I, I then back to empathy. It's, is it just like when you recognize that you're numbing and you recognize that you're experiencing those emotions and that it's because you're not getting your meet, needs met that you're um, 
that you just allow yourself to feel that and you do it without judgment. I, I think those were the four things that she mentioned. I think the first one was had to do with perspective. I think the second one was non-judgment. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. Yeah. Because that, that, that was a really important part, I think, of uh, distinguishing empathy from sympathy, whereas in sympathy, there's some judgment that's it's at least implied. You know, yeah. at least it's not as bad as this, so quit whining about what it is you're doing is, is the implication yeah. there. Whereas empathy is just, yeah, this is, this is hard stuff. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, if we go back to the drowning man scenario, what that is a metaphor for is without oxygen, we are not functioning at our best. A drowning man is an example of a person not functioning at their best. Their ability to go outside of themselves to be in tune to the lifeguard they're drowning just so they can get up is not, we couldn't ask that of him. We can't ask a drowning man to have empathy for a lifeguard when all he knows is he needs oxygen. And in a way, that drowning man is ourselves and everybody around us in this current culture because none of us are getting our needs met. And our frustration with one another is as though we're frustrated with a drowning man. If anybody got mad at that drowning man, you'd be like, what's your problem, dude? He was drowning. He needed oxygen. Well, that is basically every person you encounter every day. Every person you encounter every day is that drowning man. Because nine times out of 10, the people you're interacting with professionally, personally, at Starbucks, on the road, are people who have yet to succeed at getting their needs met, therefore are operating on very limited amounts of oxygen. Their ability to see you, notice you, not to mention your needs, is completely compromised by the fact that they are barely breathing because they have none of their needs met. I'm so tempted to say, at least they're breathing, but I, but I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to belittle what you're saying, what you're doing here, Kim. <laughs> you know, what, one, of, one of the other issues that I, I had the first time I saw that Brene Brown video and, and, you know, empathy kind of entered into to my lexicon was this, I, I, I see a way that people use it um, or I guess I was being judgmental at the time. And I was thinking there are times when there's a solution to a problem that's pretty easy to see and somebody's not really grabbing that solution. They're just, and I here's this word again, wallowing in their yeah. feelings of victimhood or sadness or things like, stop it. Stop, get, quit telling yourself the story of being a victim. Get out of yeah. the hole and move on with your life. That, that There's got to be times where that's appropriate. Maybe there's times where it's not appropriate. Maybe there's times where it is appropriate. I don't know. That, that's how I, I, I felt the time I saw it. I'm so glad you speak to that. And honestly, I feel like the video that, you share, that we're going to share with everybody, it's the perfect time for that video. Yeah, I did so, that on purpose. <laughs> so, good, good. I took the lead. I took the lead. <laughs> So we're going to share this great video with you now that's talking about what Glenn's describing and we'll come back in a couple of minutes to discuss it and pull it apart. It's freaking hilarious. And it also, 
I think proves my point about how important empathy is, but we'll see. We'll pull it apart in a minute. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing- You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine, I will listen, fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Oh my God. So first, I just have to say, it's very funny, and I can't help but laugh because it is hilarious. Is there anything you want to say about it before I... I've just had so many experiences like that. I think there's a gender thing in here, too, um, and maybe no, yeah. it's just stereotyping. Definitely. Uh, Thanks for saying that. they're playing around with the gender stereotype in here, um, and... Um, what did you say? What did you say? I think I said they're playing around with the gender stereotyping in this video. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and so I think it's worth talking about, um, you, you know, would she be better off if the nail were just pulled out of her forehead and you weren't spending so much time wondering why all of your sweaters are snagged? All of them. I right. just don't know what the problem is. I don't get it. You know, maybe if you took the nail out of your head, oh, stop telling me that it's my fault. Right. You're telling me that it's my fault. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. Like, no, it's, you've got a nail in your head. You can pull it out. No, I can't. It's not that simple. Things aren't that simple. You know, it, yep. it, it just, yep. those places where I get frustrated and there's a lack of patience and, and stuff. So you yep. can help me out here, Kim. Yeah, well, it's, it, it's great because I think for, I do think the gender ways of seeing things are uh, radically different, and I and I do think it is, you know, kind of diminishing women a little bit by having the nail in her head, like as if she just doesn't see that. And the reason I still subscribe to the belief that empathy works is because at the end of that video, you see him just say, "That must be really hard." And as soon as he says that to her, she starts to soften. Right. So I believe that perhaps had he been able to just meet her with empathy she you know what what happens when you receive empathy is trust and connection built so his observation of the nail or the metaphor that the nail represents his ability to weigh in on that is only going to come if she trusts him if she feels he's on her side in that dialogue if she feels he empathizes with her pain and if he only was able to meet her with empathy, 
at the start of that conversation, perhaps by the end, she wouldn't have been open to his observation. So the other thing I think I'm going to pull in here is in coaching, I speak hard truths, but I don't speak hard truths until I have empathized with my client. And I recommend that to everybody in relationship. There may be a time and a place where we have to say, there is a nail in your head. But for, if we want that to be heard, then we have to be sure that we have built trust and we have a relationship with that person where they are open to what we have to, to the perspective we have. Because if they hear us simplify something that they feel is not simple, then they're going to resent us and they're going to shut down and not listen. If I, if I go back to that first example I gave in the last podcast about self-responsibility, I was having a conversation that time with a family member who basically was saying to me, this is a nail. And I was saying, I don't think it is a nail. He was the one that was telling you that, that being part in of landmark, heart. you had joined a cult. Correct. Yeah. So for him, it, there was, it was just a nail. He couldn't see it as anything other than a nail. And his concern notwithstanding, I had to find a way to empathize with his perspective. From his perspective, I could see how looking at something on the internet or hearing something from a colleague would scare him. And my ability to empathize with him in the end is what got him off my back. And that is what I am suggesting, even in these situations, even when it's as obvious to you as a nail on that girl's face, it isn't for that person. Now, you, there is a time and a place to be with the radical candor of you've got a nail in your forehead. But the point is, what if you say that and the person doesn't hear you and they still go walking around with the nail? Have you succeeded? No. <laughs> so it's not about whether you see something that they need to, that they don't, but it's about con communication. And if you want to have communication, trust has to be present. Person has to be believing you want something in their best interest. And that it's not about you being in discomfort. I think this is something that does happen between men and women a lot because men come from a cultural conditioning of being the guys who fix it being the guys who have to pull themselves up by their bootstrap. And so when they see that around them, they just figure, I have to fix this. And they, and they take that, they have that burden within themselves. So when their girl, you know, or wife or daughter shares their pain, it's usually difficult for a lot of men to express empathy because they want to right go to the solution. And the woman usually in that moment is really not needing the solution, just like in that video. She doesn't want the solution. The pain she's in seems more because he is not empathizing with her than the pain she is from the now, believe it or not. Because when you feel you're in pain and nobody is willing to relate to it with you, that is a real dark place of... Honestly, I believe that's when we start to have doubts about wanting to live. It, it's because we feel so disconnected from anybody being able to relate to the pain we're in.
And that to me is the, is the key element of why, why is there so much despair out there in the world? Because people feel alone. They think they're the only ones who are feeling that disconnected. And it's, I think the reason it's so systemic now is because most of us haven't been taught how to empathize with somebody and climb down into that dark hole with somebody and just sit there with them. And, uh, because it asks a lot of us. And, and you know, even at the beginning when I uh, first started bringing a team of coaches together, one of the qualities I looked for in all the coaches I hired, more importantly than their credentials or their experience was, were they doing work on themselves? Were they themselves engaged in coaching? Were they themselves experiencing uh, a relationship with somebody where they had empathy? Because I really got that it was those who were able to sit in the dark night of the soul, they themselves have their own dark night of their soul. They were the ones who were going to best accompany their clients inevitably to that place. Now, did that happen with every client? No, but you'd be surprised. I can't tell you how many times you go into a client session, clients very clear what they want to work on. And then you start coaching and something completely different shows up. And if you, as the coach, have not been able to go to that cavern of darkness and face the dragon that you yourself have, you're not going to be able to have what you need when that client needs to go there themselves. And the reason I think it's hard for us to find empathy from those around us is because nobody's been taught how to do it for themselves. That's why they don't know how to do it for us. So how do you do it for yourself, Kim? You begin by noticing that your need was not met, that your need for connection or that your need for safety when taking your kid to the mall or to a baseball game isn't being met. Notice what needs of yours are not met. And then identify the feelings you're having because of that. And then self-talk is, wow, I can't believe I'm not getting my need for connection met. Or I can't believe I'm not getting my need for respect met. So I I said in the last podcast, I, I bring in the example of a car cutting you off in traffic. When that happens to me, the first thing I do is I acknowledge that I'm angry. I get really angry when somebody flies past me, risks my life, risks their life, risks the guys in the oncoming line. We, we only have uh, two-lane highways here in Hawaii on the big island because it's a small island. So we have one lane here, one lane coming in the opposite direction. So there's no passing lane. So... God forbid, you know, there's somebody behind you who wants to go faster than you. He's just waiting for the second he can to pass you on the left into oncoming traffic. And there are times, and that's been done, when there's really not enough space for him to do that. And I get really angry. So what happens is, I'll, this is a step-by-step that happens in, your, in my head in a matter of seconds now, because I've been practicing this for 20 years. Um, I'll say to myself, wow, my need for respect, my need for safety, my need for, you know, to be seen and be seen, all of those were now just not met. 
son of a bitch. You know, I'll be, I'll be cursing, I'll be mad, and I'll notice that all of these needs did not get met in my own car to myself. And then I'll give myself empathy because not getting those needs met sucks. And I'll acknowledge that to myself. I'll say, wow, my need for, for them, not, all those needs not getting met, that does not feel good. And just naming them takes the edge off them. Not that they're going to immediately get met, but in that moment, even my recognition that those didn't get met does take the edge off of it. Then and only then, and trust me, this takes practice and, it, and the less uh, triggered you are, the easier it is. At certain points, I'm able to eventually go to a place of having empathy for that other driver. And what does that look like? Whoops, that looks like me saying to myself, again, only after I've given myself oxygen, given myself empathy, same, same, uh, I'll say, maybe that kid today, if he's late to work, he gets fired. Maybe today that kid is somebody cut me off actually yesterday on the upper road. I live up on a mountain. It's a very treacherous road. It's very narrow, both both sides of the traffic, very curvy. It's like a Mercedes-Benz commercial. It twists and turns. There's cliffs off both sides that are thousands of feet, 3,500 feet. So, you know, you're going from one altitude up to another. And they, I drive too fast on that road because I've driven it for almost three years now. Uh, and there are people who drive faster than I do. And this guy flew past me and I was pissed off. About five minutes later, I saw where he was. His, it was pouring raining. His girlfriend or sister had a flat tire. He was racing to get to her. So now my perspective of him has totally shifted, right? But to be honest, before that happened, before I saw where he was going, I had the thought. First, I gave myself empathy. I expressed my frustration, honestly. And then I said, okay, you need for respect and get met. And eventually I was able to get to the place of, but maybe something's going on for him that he has to race to. And I, I was so blown away that I got to witness what he was racing to because we rarely ever get that opportunity. So there she was in the rain by herself, standing by her car with her flat tire. And he was like, you know, doing whatever he could to. And so there was an example of how I gave myself empathy first which in turn allowed me to have empathy for him. And then in the end, I saw, wow, here, this guy was, he was not in tune to my needs because he wanted to get to his sister, right? Or his girlfriend or whatever. Nice, yeah. This is great. I'm so glad that, you know, uh, you're pushing back and asking these questions because if you're having questions, everybody will have questions. So it's better that we pull it apart and then I'm challenged than not. Anyway, I, I'm... I'm we're going to wrap this session up. Uh, I, I really want to thank you guys uh, for staying through it. I can, I can tell, you know, just on some of our conversation Glenn and I have around this topic, it, it can be a little confusing, it can be a little complicated, and it can fly in the face of some things that you've heard for many years, probably from lots of different religions, or at least from, you know, uh, the different clubs or Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts you've been a part of, you know, it, I think this is a radical paradigm shift and uh, I promise you it'll be worth it in the end. So my suggestion, if you want to take it on, send me an email, I'll send you a universal needs list, get connected to what your needs are 
and then see just how many of them you're getting met or not getting met. And that will elicit you to have some empathy for yourself. Uh, right now, that's more important to me than you having empathy for somebody else. If I can get all the listeners on this call to begin to express self-empathy to themselves and to begin to let be less hard on themselves, I will have done, that will be a miracle. And that to me right now is the most important piece of the puzzle. So please reach out to me if you have any questions or thoughts, Kim at the Wall Street Coach.com. Uh, and I'm going to be happy to answer any of your questions. And if you want to look for further information about this work, universal needs and or nonviolent communication, please check out Marshall Rosenberg's book, Speak Peace in a World of Conflict. And his other book is Nonviolent Communication. Uh, also, two websites with lots of free information. And those are cnvc.org. And the other website is nonviolentcommunication.com. Additionally, on Amazon, there's a bunch of booklets that are written by Marshall Rosenberg that are about maybe 30 pages long. They're very short, specific to child rearing, specific to couples, specific to the emotion of anger and how to navigate it. Uh, all those little booklets are fantastic uh, and very helpful at understanding this work. I also just want to say quickly that I have been practicing or a student of this work, NVC for short, nonviolent communication, for probably 20 years now. And uh, I still have a long way to go. So give yourself lots of patience and empathy for learning it. It, it. it takes some time. It takes a little getting used to. It feels like a lot to juggle at once. Uh, so be patient. It, 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 it'll take a little time, but it'll be worth it in the end. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Find her on the web at thewallstreetcoach.com and sign up for her newsletter, get a copy of her book, or schedule a time to chat with Kim yourself. And if you like this podcast, please give it a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been produced by Ear Candy Productions.